See, Trish, we're doing this so you start your Friday kind of a mellow mood. I love it. Free for all Friday. Can we stay mellow through this whole program, Brian? We usually do. Yeah. And, uh, what was last week's music that Pierre picked for us? Was Bach? something about sheep? <laughs> anyway. Well, good morning. Hey, everybody that was at the uh, Cholua concert, we did a Sunset Cool 100.9, Flag the Broadcasting. We did a concert at the uh, amphitheater in Palm Coast, and the rain came, and it cleared up. It was beautiful, and a breeze, and a few hundred people there, all just having a great time together, and uh, some of the new people met that just moved to Palm Coast from up north, and this is like their dream coming here, and that was their first experience with the food trucks and the the band and meeting all these people and they were just like what a what an awesome town this is Mm -hmm. and um it's kind of like refreshing to see that through the eyes of people that just get here versus people that have been here for a long time felt that way and then all they do is complain once they're here so they get a little jaded yeah yeah you know you got to get out so i'm thinking all the people that complain how come they weren't at the concert having a good time with people (laughs) because they were at home on their keyboard complaining so there's my editorial for the day <laughs> so how are you doing trish jaconi and uh, you are the um with the uh, family life center i use i put the word care in there in the promo and she goes well that's nice but that's not the name of it so <laughs> so so we move that word but anyway but how are you doing i'm i'm doing great um and it's family life center that's what we do we care so i understand why you connect those dots so um how are you doing with that? Because um, we're, the, today's show kind of set up where we're going to go with this is the, the, um, the economy has a huge effect on people's well-being, their mentality, their stress levels, their behavior levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't have things, I saw this here. Let me share this with you. You can comment on it. It said, uh, hungry people look for food. Sad people look for hope. Ambitious people look for opportunity oppressed people look for escape um and um you know so and then if you have everything you look for entertainment so you know so in other words if all those things you have but if you don't have those basic fundamental things and it's like you know if you don't have air to breathe you're alive for a few minutes if you don't have water you're alive for some for days if you don't have food you're alive for weeks or months whatever you can last but if you don't have shelter, which is a primary thing, or you're under the constant threat of not having a home and not having providing for your family and the rents have gone up and we can't make it, we're going to move out, we're going to get evicted. I mean, imagine um, people living under those stresses and how it does affect their behavior. And I think that's why we wanted you to come on with the Life Care Center, that um, you kind of see the end result of that, the, the stress do. and the tension in the, the households with um, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, kids, dogs—you know, All everybody. Everybody pays mm-hmm. the price for um, domestic for, violence. Everybody pays yeah. the price. Um, it is. It is a costly um, crime and. Uh, I will tell you that the last several years have been, re- for all of us, we've, we've just been, um, you know, this global pandemic, although isn't the same impact medically, still has impact emotionally and on families. And so it is still something that we um, are working through. Um, our shelter is full. Uh, we are the only certified domestic violence shelter in Flagler County. And, um, you know, we have, I mean, right now we have four little kiddos that are, you know, under two 
Paint a picture of your shelter. I mean, I'm picturing like uh, army barracks and no, you know what. So no, we have a very loving okay. home. Well, tell us. Uh, uh, ex- absolutely. So it. our our um our home is a six bedroom house, um, and so we put one family per room, which we started that back with COVID. Uh, we used to put multiple families in a room, and and that's not as humane um, or as sanitary. So we do one family per room. Um, we've got a wonderful backyard, thanks to um, a group of folks back many years ago, uh, the um, Flagler County, um, oh, goodness gracious, and now they passed me, Leadership Class 23 mm-hmm. helped us build our great backyard. Um, and we have on-site kennel, so we can now take pets. Uh, we've had that now for about a year and a half. Um, and so 2,800 square foot three bathrooms. And there are times that we have 30, 40 people in wow. our 2,800 square foot home. Currently, we have less than 15 um, so that, that for 15 bodies. So that works out um, pretty reasonably. Um, but our home is like any other. It is not a commercial facility. It is not um, an assisted living facility where there's one bathroom per bedroom. It's We share the kitchen. We share three bathrooms, which, you know, anyone who has women, girls, like I do, I have three daughters. We, we share the bathroom. It can get a little hectic. Um, and is it, it's like a secret location. So, um, it is confidential. Uh, Florida statute does not allow us to share the address, uh, but it is here, bricks and mortar in Flagler County. And people come to you. Um, and okay. And also because domestic abuse is in many forms, um, yes. you know, we did a show on that where it's not just somebody mm-hmm. getting beat up. It's, uh, you know, it could be financial mm-hmm. or emotional or, mm-hmm. um, you know, or just, and also kids and, and pets, mm-hmm. you know, I heard how, mm-hmm. how like, uh, you know, somebody who is the abuser in the household, it's not just one, it's like it in, in the fear mm-hmm. of, of living in there. So Talk to me a little bit about the people that come to you. Is it mostly physical abuse? So actually, um, we get a lot of physical abuse, but that is not the only. Uh, There is a lot of emotional abuse. And in talking with so many survivors over the 16 years that I've been doing this, uh, you know, often I'll hear that the emotional abuse is worse because physically they will heal from bruises, but the emotional people don't. Um, they don't know how to uh, support victims in that way. Victims don't know how to, you know, oftentimes it's hard to express that I'm a victim. What does that look like when it's emotional abuse? Give me an example of, or examples of emotional abuse where this is not normal. So um, oftentimes what will happen is, is a perpetrator of domestic violence via emotional abuse will... um, cause victims to feel as though they are going crazy, um, that they their feelings aren't valid. You know, it, it's it's the victim's fault, not the perpetrator's fault, right? The perpetrator's great. They Look, they provide a home and they provide all of the uh, basic essentials and they, the victim should be grateful for that. Um, you know, if the, if the perpetrator was the working individual and the victim was a stay-at-home mom, well, you're not doing anything at home. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm at work all day and, you know, you're home just taking care of the kids. That's not a real, quote unquote, real job. Meanwhile, you know, being a mom is a job. I mean, it, it requires a lot. Um, so, you know, oftentimes that'll happen with that, that emotional one. Um, not having friends, you know, oh, you've got to stay home or you have to ask me when you go somewhere or you can't wear what you want to wear. You've got to look a certain way so that it compliments me, you know, the perpetrator, not the victim. So kind of this idea that you do not have autonomy, you don't have independence to make the decisions on your own, almost that you're incapable of. Um, and so 
it really causes this ripple effect and and chips away at someone's self-esteem, self-worth, self-view. So I can see where it's such a progressive kind of maybe a gradual thing over years where you accept this level, then you accept this level. I'm, you know, and I mean, and then is that it can. And, you know, a lot of times I think that, um, you know, victims will think, well, either he will, ch- you know, the perpetrator will change or um, if I love them enough, there'll be a change. And there's we and, and you know, I'm going to put my therapist hat on real quick. We can't change anyone. You know, we we have we can only change ourselves and our behaviors. So we can't love people through that. We can't, um, you know, Im- implore them. We can't beg them. They're, they have to want to make that change independently. Um, and and if they do, great. And if not, then you know people deserve to live a safe, healthy life. So what happens? I mean, some of what you just described could probably happen in a in a you know minor uh, uh, a low level in a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point does someone feel like they have that much of the you know you know they're just being put down all the time, trying to take away auto- autonomy? At what point does that come to a stage where? I actually now have to leave and go live in an undisclosed location, undisclosed location with potentially four other families because it is that toxic and I cannot, I feel like I can't really even survive in that house anymore. Like what's the tipping point? Like You actually just said it. So we talk about safety, emotional safety, physical safety, right? So if you're not, um, if you're feeling like you're just surviving and barely, that's a point where you go, wait a minute, this is not okay. You know, like maybe if someone is contemplating suicide and they tie oh, it to that and that that could be a reason to anytime there's a thought yeah. of harming self or others. And I mean this sincerely, please pick up the phone and, and you know, dial the suicide hotline. That is definitely a, a key indicator. But there's other things up until that point where you where victims may feel as though they don't have anyone to talk to that. Maybe they're not at the extreme of contemplating suicide, but they're just feeling trapped, suffocated. I, I can't, you know, victims could say, I, I, I can't think I can't, um, you know, I, I feel like I have to ask for everything. That's when I recommend that they call out crisis helpline, speak to a live advocate. Our advocates are not there to tell victims, stay, don't go, leave, do leave. We really want to help support survivors through their entire process. And that does mean safety planning. Safety planning doesn't always mean leave right now. It could mean, hey, let's talk about what are some of the options? What are What is going on? Um, is this a uh, domestic violence situation? Is this a dating violence situation? Is this an unhealthy relationship that hasn't yet reached that place of domestic violence? Because that can happen, right? Couples have have disagreements and arguments. Um, the biggest thing, though, is when we talk about domestic violence, that difference with that power and control, right? And so if somebody has more power or more control over another person, that's where the domestic violence issue takes place. And so we want to make sure that we're educating our families and saying, hey, we've got resources here available. We don't have to get to a place where we're contemplating killing ourselves or harming ourselves or someone else. So, um, this is, I, I didn't really think, I always thought that, you know, they just got a call saying, hey, we're bringing, or somebody's coming over. So um, people that find themselves stressed, it doesn't necessarily mean they're looking to go to your home. Um, 
your counselors right. intervene and right. can help them and be a friend and absolutely so and who are these public. who are these counselors so we have um we have uh, domestic violence advocates who are community members many um, many of our staff are self-identified victims of domestic violence themselves historically um, not everyone but many do identify as being a survivor of, of domestic violence uh, we do provide pretty intensive training statewide victim advocates working for certified centers need to have a minimum of uh, 30 hours of training in the field of domestic violence advocacy. And then each year they continue to keep that training up. Uh, so our advocates are available beyond the shelter. So the shelter is our largest program and we absolutely continue to provide that to Flagler County. But we have a public office that folks can come in and visit with us and have conversation one-on-one, -on -one, confident free, um, and Monday through Friday, nine to five, give us a call and stop in. What is it? What is it? Go ahead, Brian. What would you say to somebody who feels like they're in the like in that power struggle, mm -hmm. and they're the oppressed, for lack of a better term? Mm -hmm. They're the oppressed, and they're feeling emotionally abused. Um, and they know that this resource is available, but they feel like you know, I know I'm not perfect either. Exactly, I know I've probably fought back in ways that I'm not proud of. Um, am I really sort of worthy of going into this situation? Should, should I really Reach take out? it? Should, yeah. Can I, can I really justify getting these, getting this help when I know that I've probably made some mistakes myself? Like I feel oppressed, but you know, I'm not perfect either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do actually. And I love that you said that, Brian, I would recommend that they give us a call. Uh, nobody's perfect. Um, you know, and so we want to make sure that victims know that they have the support, right? And so let's talk about what's the safest, best options, because sometimes it may be a sit down conversation with a professional advocate to have that dialogue of, is this safe? You know, what does your home look like? And not just you as the primary victim, but then, you know, what David talked about earlier is those secondary victims, right? So we can talk about the kids in mm -hmm. the home and or if we have aging parents in the home, which, you know, this community has a lot of. And so really looking at how can we help you be the safest? Um, it doesn't mean that they have to come into our emergency shelter. Um, but then there are other resources available that, you know, we provide, not just that emotional support, but then we also have other, you know, resources, support groups, and um, uh, we talk about economic justice, which is housing and employment. So maybe it's a, an you know, an opportunity to talk about other housing options. Maybe you don't necessarily have to leave now, but you might want to plan to leave in the future or you're in my, you know, what I call, you know, stuck in that kind of quote unquote, stuck in that situation where you're not making enough income to afford living independently, but maybe it's not a healthy relationship. So before we get to a place of I'm totally stuck, let's talk to an advocate and see what we can do to help you get up out of there. If are, that's what they want. Are the um, advocates, um, do they have to report this to authorities or law no. enforcement? No. So nope. this is private, Complete, confidential? Completely confidential. The only time we have to report is if there is identified harm to self or others, which as a mandatory reporter. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, um, we have a very special privilege, like most people have with their doctors and their pastors. Um, advocates working for certified centers have that type of privilege. They cannot actually be compelled to 
um, testify in the court of law. So, so what does it cost to do? It's a, what is a six bedroom house, right? We, I mean, yeah. you own it. I yeah. mean, what's the nut so to we, run this oh, place? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so we, that it's a big nut. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> nut because costs go up and we don't get special breaks. So we pay the FPL bill like everyone else. We pay the water bill like everyone else. Um, and so it costs us many, many thousands of dollars every month just for the house. Because if we're thinking about, you know, um, between six and 10 families that are using the water, taking showers, cooking, uh, cleaning, you know, I mean, it, the electricity, the air conditioning, um, you know, it, it costs us a lot of, a lot of money that, that doesn't put the advocate there yet. And, and, you know, so that's just the maintenance of facilities. Then you add the staffing, which is 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, we have over 30 cameras. So, you know, our alarm <laughs> bill is pretty big. Um, so it, it costs us a, a, quite a significant amount of money um, to run our, our shelter. Um, our budget right now for all of our programs is about $1.8 million, which we're on the smaller side. Now that's all of our programs, including shelter. Um, but we are one of the smaller ones in the state of Florida. So where do you get your money? So we get our money from the federal government who trickles down to the state government, um, who then gives it to Family Life Center, primarily. Um, our biggest funder is the uh, Office of the Attorney General, Victims of Crime Act. Um, and then we receive funding from the Department of Children and Families. But um, in order to remain a certified center, we need approximately 20 to 25 percent of our budget, domestic violence budget, has to come from our community, which is why it's so important that we partner with um, civic organizations, churches, you know, WNZF, uh, making sure that we're raising those local dollars. The state wants to know that we are supported by our community, that the community feels there's a need to have us. All right. Now, tell me if I'm right or wrong. I heard the news story here on WNZF <laughs> that basically the United Way was a contributor to you mm -hmm. and this year cut you off. They cut off our shelter programming. They did. Um, so after much conversation back and forth, uh, where we landed was a technical glitch in the application process. Um, so I will leave that there. But yes, that was $50,000 that we were expecting um, that we are not getting this uh, next And how around. big of a how big of a torpedo is that $50,000 to your operation? Uh, huge torpedo. Um, again, we're a small, we're a small group. So $50,000 hurts. We, f we feel it. Um, I had to reduce some of our staffing hours for our non- uh, non-direct service staff. I didn't reduce any direct service staff, but our non-direct service staff absolutely felt that mm -hmm. pretty immediately. Have Has the community, once they've known this, I mean, you, you see what we do with the, I mean, how people come together here in this community, if they understand the need, like our million, half a million dollar food of fun this yeah. year, didn't make the million, but anyway, um, but still that was, you know, $100,000, you know, raised to it. Is there, do, do donors and individuals or businesses, do they say, hey, some, Trish, we want to help you? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think some, some folks really step up to the plate and, and help us. Uh, no, we have not recovered. We have not received. We haven't filled that gap, just so you know. Um, mm -hmm. we are, we're a few thousand in. Um, in fact, I just had a board meeting yesterday, and we, our discretionary dollars for this year, which are the monies that we raise um, through our community, uh, significantly less than where we need to be. Uh, moving forward. And if we are not mindful and careful in raising our funds, um, you know, financially, it can it can impact our direct service soon. I hope that that's the last thing we have to do, but yeah. um, it could happen. Yeah. So next year, hopefully United Way comes back online. 
Um, United Way, uh, well, in two years, I, I hope. I, I believe there are two-year cycles. So, uh, yeah. uh, so that's like 100000 then. 50000 a year, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm it's sorry tough. to bring up. Oh, I can tell her you're, <laughs> you're wincing. Like, I really am. Gosh, it, it is so like, hard. Why it's do so, I bring this up? I don't know. <laughs> it is so hard. It, it is hard. Um, but, you know, it. I am, I am uh, faithful that our community will... Um, continue to support the work that we do well we're gonna um our creekside festival coming up in uh, october 7th and 8th we're gonna make you our major um con- you know we're gonna contribute to you as what we can and we never know what it's gonna be does if we get a hurricane like we have yeah. had and and all those kind of things but um we, you know people wonder why you know we ch- first of all it cost a ton of money to put one on like yeah. the creekside festival it's the 18th annual one but um but anyway, we we're gonna somehow raise thousands of dollars for you. I That's don't know. what I'm hoping. I don't David. know what it is. We <laughs> hope every, everybody comes out to the uh, Creekside Festival and. Here's a guy that's going to be out there with the uh, Chili Challenge. Our Sheriff Rick Staley. Morning, Rick. Hey, good morning, David. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, on Creekside, uh, you are the uh, second year holding the uh, Chili Best Chili Trophy, and the fire department has. Uh, it's, it's basically the cops against the firemen at the Creekside Festival. We do a chili challenge. It's kind of a fun thing to do. Um, and uh, they claim that there's no way you're going to get uh, year number three and hold on to that trophy. So, uh, Well, you know, uh, they keep claiming we're buying our chili from uh, Wendy's. They need to come up with a, a, a new comment because uh, it is custom made by the team at FCSO, the Green Roof Inn specifically. And um, we intend to retain uh, the, the uh, trophy for the third year. And uh, we have something special in mind this year. Um, so um, they'll find that out when, when we arrive um, the morning of the Chili Challenge. Okay. And that'll be uh, Saturday, uh, October 7th at Prince's Place. Brian? Chili first thing in the morning. That sounds, uh-huh. sounds good. Um, and but a beer. Do you? Uh, I was wondering if that if that award winning chili is served at the Green Roof Inn. Um, actually, we make enough and we save some so that our employees can have some. Uh, the inmates do not. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, it's, it's too hot for them. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Chief Tucker has evidence that uh, you do buy it at Chili. At, you buy your chili at Wendy's because he showed me a picture of one of your deputy cars at the drive-through. Well, uh, that's why he's not a detective. <laughs> that sounds like proof. Well, yeah, but what did he buy? Where's the proof of that? A car to drive through means nothing. Have to subpoena the receipts. I yeah, guess. that's right. So. Hey, um, we're talking, um, you know, Trish really well, uh, Jaconi, with the uh, Family Life Center, and we were just talking about um, the additional stresses of, of life and inflation and, and how it, um, is there an uptick with um, domestic calls in Flagler County with the Sheriff's Department over the last year or so? There is, and um, we saw this trend, you know, we really focused, we were great with Trish and her team at the Family Life Center and, and other community partners, and about five years ago, we really focused on domestic violence after we had uh, three or four uh, domestic-related homicides. And we had, the community came together, and we really drove domestic violence down. And then COVID came, and we saw, you know, an uptick then. And now we're seeing another uptick uh, with it. And, and for example, uh, year-to-date so far this year, compared to the same time frame last year, 
uh, domestic violence offenses are up 10%. And I want to qualify that number. That's reported Mm -hmm. to law enforcement because a lot of victims don't report, either for the fears that Trish has already uh, mentioned uh, or they go to the Family Life Center uh, instead. And so, you know, that's okay as long as they're getting help. You know, they don't have to report to us if they don't feel comfortable or, or you know, don't want the, the father of their children or their husband arrested because uh, we have a pro-arrest uh, policy for domestic violence. And so our arrests are up 14%. So, so for DV offenses reporting the sheriff's office, uh, 334 year-to-date compared to 305 last year. Arrests last year, year-to-date, were 211. We've already made 240 arrests. And that means that the deputies are seeing more evidence when they're going to uh, domestic violence calls. And, and here's the hard part, that, and Trish uh, commented on this. You have mental abuse, too, but a deputy can't see that. So you can't really make an arrest on that case. That's really where the, um, the Family Life Center uh, comes in. Uh, the other thing that we've noticed is, you know, uh, violation of injunctions are up 8% from 24 to 26. Uh, but the biggest increase we have, and statistically this is going to sound like a lot, but it's seven cases, is stalking. So somebody's been given a domestic violence injunction and then they violate it or they start stalking uh, the spouse or their significant other. And percentage-wise, it's up 700%, but we only had one year-to-date in 2022, and we've had eight. Uh, the other thing that we've noticed is that there are a lot more people uh, walking around with court-ordered ankle monitors, and about uh, 98% of those are all domestic uh, violence-related cases. So the judges are using the ankle monitoring more probably to allow uh, the individual to continue to work and, and provide for the family, um, even though they're not living you know, at that house. And so we are seeing an increase, and there can be a variety of reasons for that. You know, our community is growing fast, uh, and people moving in from other states that, that maybe other states aren't as proactive as we are. And they're learning out the hard way that you come to Flagler County and you commit domestic violence, uh, you're going to be arrested. And so you have your population growth, you have them, and because they're coming in from other areas that they may not be familiar with Florida law and, and what is or is not tolerated compared to where they came from. And then you have the pressures of the inflation, uh, which is causing every family uh, in the country um, financial uh, restraints. I saw a Moody's report on that. Just we're about it's an average of $500 a month more with this um, economy we're in right now um, for a family $500 a month more um, average of like $80 more a month on food. We tried to help with the uh, foodathon on that. And thank you, Rick, and all your um, you know, men and women of the sheriff's department for and the drug dealers for uh, contributing right. to the foodathon, um, and uh, what 80, 80, almost ninety dollars a month more on shelter, uh, about fifty dollars a month more on utilities, um, twenty dollars a month more on health care, and uh, and then it just goes 
you know, down the line to to all that, which is which puts the stress in the household. And it's like, you, you know, it's like a fight or flee kind of a thing, but you can't get away from it. Um, you know, you can't go home and and there's the stress, you know, and and uh, so and we see a lot of cases, David, where people are divorced. They went through and got a divorce, but because of the financial situation, they're both living in the same house. Hmm. That does not work. I can't tell you how many times we've gone there and had to, you know, mediate arguments or make an arrest because there's a reason you got divorced. And but the financial constraints are keeping people in the same roof. All right. All right. Well, hey, um, we're going to talk about housing here coming up. Um, we're going to uh, be joined with our city councilwoman for Palm Coast, Kathy Heider, who asked the question at the uh, city council workshop on, you know, why don't we have more affordable housing? And everybody hates the term affordable housing, workforce housing, whatever, low income. Blah, 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 blah. But um, the, the whole point of it is that without shelter, it's one of the most basic needs and the threat of losing shelter with increased rents and behind on the rent and um, we move out, we can't, you know, move on. And it, I think, um, like they say, that you're never supposed to spend more than 30 of your income on housing. And some people are now at 50, 60, even 70% of their income is tied up just on shelter. So um, we're going to talk with our good friend and developer, Jeff Douglas, who just, I see he just walked into the station here. And we're going to ask him, as a builder developer, what would it take to build Um affordable housing, workforce housing, whatever, here in uh, Flagler County, Palm Coast, and what would have to change so that it would be a possibility. Rick Staley, thank you so much. You be safe out there, and we appreciate what you do for our community. All right. Thank you, dude. All right. Have a good weekend. All right. We'll be back with more trying to solve problems of the world. Well, no, just solve the problems of Flagler <laughs> County. We'll start here and then the world. Trish Ciccone, our guest with the Family Life Center, Brian McMillan, coming up, Jeff Douglas and City Councilman Woman. Kathy Heider. A powerful and well-respected law firm in Florida is now in Palm Coast. Time is money, your money. When you're injured in a car crash or accident, call us first. I'm Josh Woolsey. Offices Jacksonville and now Palm Coast. WoolseyMorkham.com. See this? It's a generator for your home. Never needs gas, no moving parts, and it's quiet as a church mouse. Hurricane or power outage headed our way? No worries now. It's a solar generator for your home that works day and night and pays for itself through energy savings and tax credit. Hi, folks. This is Bill Gallagher with SolarFit. We're your Tesla certified Powerwall installer, and the future is here. Give us a call today for all the details. 445-7606. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. You know what I like about people who drive Mercedes? They have an appreciation for quality. Hi, I'm Andy from Autohouse of Palm Coast. If it has anything to do with Mercedes-Benz, we can do it. From maintenance and basic services to major repairs. If you or somebody you know owns a Mercedes-Benz, I would love for you to be my customer. I'm Andy. I'm in the Hargrove Lane Industrial Park. You'll find me. Everybody else has. Or call me anytime. 585-4785. Auto House, Palm Coast. Want to flex your golf skills but don't have the time for a full 18 holes? Head on down to the Palm Harbor Golf Club. You can hit up our driving range with a bucket of balls for a long-distance workout or head over to our putting green to work on your short game. Either way, you're going to get in a great game of golf. For more information or to book a tee time, visit us at palmharborgolfclub.com or give us a call at 386-986-986. 
386-986-4653. That's 386-986-GOLF. If you're planning on driving your car for a while, you better take care of it now. And if your air conditioning isn't blowing cold, we can fix it before the whole thing goes out and save you money. Do you know where we are? We've consolidated into one great location. Quantum tires and auto repair. We do it all at our new location, State Road 11 and the railroad tracks in Bunnell. You'll see us. Quantum tires and auto repair. We do it all. 437-3677. 437-3677. Quantum. Quantum. Joe Wright. I like that gruff voice. Quantum. Morning, everybody. Free for all Friday. I'm David Ayers. We have Trish Giacconi, Family Life Center in the studio. Does a lot of great things for the community, and it's a safe place to go for people under the stress and strain of domestic abuse and violence and things, and God love you for that and um, i know you know we've talked that if you this cause of yours came out of you being abused and and um and so it's kind of you know weird how uh, god sends us on different paths and yes (laughs) you know as a little girl i'm sure you didn't say yeah someday i want to be the uh i want to run a a a shelter i sure did not (laughs) no what did you want to be when you were a kid a teacher yeah yeah well you are you're teaching life now to you know you're helping everybody Mm -hmm. all right well, Jeff Douglas, developer and uh, tuna fisherman from off of the coast of Maine, and uh, good to have you in the studio here today. Thank you, David. It's good to be here. And uh, Brian, of course, our co-host, and joining us right now is our city councilwoman, Kathy Heider. Good morning, Kathy. Yes, good morning, David, and good one, Good morning to everyone who's there. Hey, um, at the last council meeting, or I think it was a workshop or a business meeting, whatever you, you, know, you guys call it, um, you had asked the question because they were like, okay, they're going to build these condos by the airport and everything and, and, uh, and the cost of them. And, and you kind of asked in a way, if, you know, if I'm paraphrasing, that, you know, why, what, what about uh, workforce housing? There's a big shortage of it, and how come we don't have it? And so kind of tell us what sparked you to bring that up at that point and what's in, what's on your mind what sparked me to bring it up david is because i have a huge concern first of all about our community as a whole but even with that i have a huge concern about the working class people here in palm coast that are suffering and have such a, a difficult time um obtaining the american dream I mean, that's what we live and work for, to obtain the American dream. And it is becoming unreachable here at this point for so many hardworking men and women that live here in Flagler County. And my concern is that we at some point have to be willing to do something to help. Everybody has to be willing to pitch in and give up something. I spoke to a um, builder friend of mine this morning early and he kind of gave me the full picture it doesn't just start right here in the community and start right here with just the builders there are going we're going to start with our government administration and work down everyone has to be willing to give up something and pitch in so that we're able to provide proper housing for these hardworking individuals here in Palm Coast. And I know even for myself, I mean, I get up and I go to work every day. I work hard. And even for me, it's hard to um, have that American dream of home ownership. I had it in New York. 
I own two homes in New York, one here um, with my partner um, in Palm Coast. But it's very difficult. I feel like we have to find a way to help these individuals um, on the road to home ownership. Um, me, myself, as a realtor, I every time that I do a transaction, I give back something to that home buyer or to the seller on either side. And I think that we, as a community of people that want to live, in a beautiful, thriving community, we have to be willing to compromise and give up something to achieve that. Brian? So, Kathy, what's an example of something that you would think to give up? For example, do you feel like it would be good for more, say, tax dollars to help, um, you know, help make that a reality for people? Like, you know, I, I have- do. I do, and I believe that if we cut back on unnecessary spending here in the community and with the city and in our budgets. I do believe that there are places where we can shave our budget to be able to provide some kind of assistance and help. Um, With the the mortgage lenders, with them also, I mean, it's a chain reaction just about with everything that we do. So that chain reaction it affects the city, it affects our homeowners, our citizens and residents here, it affects our banking systems, and it's just that everyone has to be able to say, hey, you know, let's give up something because we need these individuals in our community to work. So as uh, one of our uh, council representatives uh, you know and that's why i asked you to come on to talk about it because i didn't want your question that little spark to die i wanted to amplify that and um, that's why i asked uh, jeff douglas to come in from douglas development because he's a guy with with him and in in his business can make this happen but there's roadblocks in the way that drive the prices up to where affordable housing isn't affordable and i will quote toby tobin Um, with Go Toby and Real Estate Matters, uh, talk show host here, his quote is, we are turning our middle class into a rental society. And for working class, you know, they're just starting, they're getting out of college or from high school and have their first family. Um, It's almost the the goal line to get home ownership keeps getting further away. Um, The red zone, the red zone's at the 50-yard line now. And, um, you know, and so... Um, we've, and I think locally in Flagler County, we can do something about it. I think you can do something about it, Kathy. I think the, the, the city council can. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask you, what are the roadblocks that, um, because if, you know, I mean, you guys are in business to, to build houses and build communities and make money on it. And um, why can't you? Well, thank you, David, for having me and for Councilman Hyder um, and what you in your service and your contribution. Um, it, it, I think this problem is now morphed. It's not a local problem. It's not a state problem. It's now a national problem. There is a national housing crisis, and this crisis is in two forms. It's the cost of housing, number one, and the fact that there isn't enough housing. There simply isn't enough housing. And I know people are going to run around. You can go to Detroit. You can go to... Chicago, you know, there's a great article in the Wall Street Journal about all the vacant lots. We can argue how the vacant lots happen, but it happened because of exactly what we're doing today. 
all that was was a leader. It was a precursor to all this. And what happened was is we all want the best, so we go to government and say, government, do X, Y, and Z, particularly at the national level. The national level turns around and makes these proclamations. They have no local involvement, and then you force both the states and the local government, in our case, mostly Palm Coast, city of Flag, I mean, county of Flagler, um, and now you're forcing them to enforce it. So here is the main component to what, what's driven up the cost of housing. It's called government. It's called bureaucracy. So you have these, you, you tell staff that they have to implement the same set of plans that, say, Horton or Summit Construction has built tens of thousands of the exact same unit. Tens of thousands. Not one's burned down. Not one's had a problem. They're perfect. But every time they have to go into a separate municipality, they have to go through months and years of reviews, fire review. It's the fire's perfect. Electrical review, the electrical's perfect, but we have to make eight comments eight times, four submittals, on and on and on. So there's a whole process, and it's not our local our staff does the best they can, but you're, tell, you're pointing a finger at them, says, okay, go make comments on this. We're human. It's a human condition. you got to make the comments. Then you throw impact fees on top of that. So a single-family home in Palm Coast, before you ever get started, your direct government costs are over $20,000. It's probably 25000 including permitting fees, not including development fees. Per unit. Per unit. That's not development fees. So I have a question. So you're saying that, and I, I, in, in the work that I do now, similar kind of thing, you submit these plans, the government does the review, and it all makes sense. But you're saying these same plans have been approved by other people too. So there's a lot of government contracts it's that are- It's not other, it's tens of yeah. thousands of times. So there's there's a lot of government contracts that are piggybacked. It's like it's Port Orange just bought uh, you know supplies for blah, 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 or like a, a fire truck or something like that. And we say, the city is now going to say, well, we're going to piggyback on that same contract. Right. And we're going to say, we're going to save months of time of research and study. And we're just going to kind of trust that based on what Port Orange did- we're going to do the same thing and we're going to fast track it through. Is there some kind of way that that's maybe already happening or could happen where you could say, we're going to piggyback on the Ormond beach approval of this same house plan. And we're just going to say, okay, yeah, that's been approved by that entity. Okay. We stamp it as well. Cause we have a good relationship with them. We know their standards are good. Boom. And then it doesn't cost you hardly anything. And it takes two days. I mean, is there some kind of piggybacking strategy that could help with that, I wonder? I think that edict has to come from on high because obviously yeah. our council members and councilman Hyder, you know, they have to abide by the rules and regulations. So at a minimum, it needs to come from the state level. And I think if there's enough outcry and organized um, at the political level that those things can start to happen. And what I, to be clear, because I know there's people listening and, you know, there's haters out there. I know you've got to deal with them and they're saying, oh, it's going to be fentanyl. And you read these comments and they're, First of all, they're not true, and then they pile on. So to those folks, um, what we're talking about is we've already done workforce housing. We've done, I think, we're the group that's done two of them, and they've been very, very, very successful. Um, matter of which, fact- Which ones are you talking about? Well, we had the landings, and then we had the palms. And yeah. the landings was, I mean, the palms was workforce housing, tremendously successful. Where is that exactly? That's um, in town center. It's the more of the townhome looking type product when you come in. Okay. And then the landings, the funny thing about that is the tax credit portion was for seniors. And the biggest problem we have when we do this is the seniors lease up because they have the extra time. They occupy the space that the families in the working class could have had. 
So the working class, and that go back to the thing. Interesting. There's not even housing for the working class. Mm -hmm. You go to the hospital. They say, there's no, I can't hire people. So when you're sick and you're sitting there complaining and you're sick, oh, there's too much traffic in this, it's you. You're, you might be the issue. On the, you can speak out and say, hey, I, this would get better. I would get better medical service if I had more workers here. They can't get workers because there's no housing for them. They just won't come. Mm -hmm. So what, um, Kathy Heider, um, as our councilwoman here, what um, if, if she had the power to, or our city council has the power to change things here in uh, Palm Coast, um, what what could they do to have an, an immediate positive effect to uh, further these type well, of developments? As I mentioned in the council meeting, what I would like to see, if we are approving all of these different um, building projects and the multi-unit projects that they're building, I feel that if they would just allow, I mean, five, workforce housing within there and charge their regular building price or whatever they charge for the rest of the units. But we have to begin to understand that if we're going to do this and work for our community, that we have to start somewhere. Someone has to be willing to start somewhere. And who is someone and where is somewhere? <laughs> okay. Somewhere is our government, somewhere is our building, uh, builders, our developers, our community as a whole, the city. Everyone has to be willing to give back something in order to help the, this, this working class community that is fading and moving out of Palm Coast. I mean, I have people that talk to me all the time that are telling me, Kathy, I don't have any other choice to move. And as far as my senior citizen, and I can speak on this firsthand because my sister lives in one of the season, senior housing communities, she is suffering because she's been there, one of the first tenants in this um, development, and her rent has gone up so much that it is simply unaffordable to her right now, living on the income that she receives from Social Security, and she cannot work. She has a heart condition. Well, Kathy, let me ask you, um, as a, a councilwoman who brought this up, what can you do to um, maybe, you know, get some people to the table and, um, and have a discussion openly and honestly about things that... Well, that's what I mentioned. What I would like to do is I'd like to initiate even if I have to go out there and start it on my own, I would like to initiate a dialogue with these developers, with these buildings, and ask them, okay, what does it take? I know that the government is involved in this, but what, and I know that they have a lot of high cost also because I was in the construction industry in New York. So I know the cost. Insurance has gone up. Building materials have gone up. But we have to ask and start and take the initiative and say, where can you shave off of something so that we can begin to make these homes more workforce attainable? All right. Well, listen, um, when you, if you and when you decide to do that, let us know because we'll give you full you know, support of our WNZF, like the Broadcasting News Department, Free for All Friday and other 
talk shows to communicate this to the public of what you're trying to do. Well, I am absolutely ready, David. And I want to say thank you to Jeff Douglas because Jeff Douglas has actually been a tremendous help to me and to my organization, whereas we support our veterans, first responders, Gold Star military families, and also local communities, heroes. So with that being said, you can understand, with the heart of giving and giving back to our community, which I've done for over 20 years of my life, really, through all of my working life, I have given back to my community. All right. Well, I care about my community. Well, thank you, uh, Kathy. We appreciate you and appreciate you uh, being a councilwoman for Palm Coast. And keep us informed, okay? We're going to let you go and have a great weekend. I certainly will. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you, Kathy. Oh. Wait a minute, Trish. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me, David. I was going to ask if I can, and and I'm not a builder, um, but you mentioned impact fees. Um, where does Flagler County stand in the cost of impact fees? Are we one of the highest, the lowest, the middle? Where where do we stand on that? Well, it's actually the city of Palm. We do most of the stuff in the city of Palm Coast. The county, you know, the, because the city provides utilities, so you're really forced to go into the city. Um. Uh. I'd say we're middle of the road. Some counties don't have them. Um, in Flagler County, the real penalty is, is when you pay them. Mm -hmm. And that's going back to the school impact mm -hmm. fee. Um, and I think, you know, we work on those things. And uh, But it's when you pay them and mm -hmm. they keep going up. And you got to understand, we're on we, we're in a project now. It's phase five and six of this project. Mm -hmm. That comes after, I said this before, it comes after one, phase one, phase mm -hmm. two, phase mm -hmm. three, phase four. You think we get this down, right, government? Mm -hmm. Government held this up. We're in the fourth year of permitting for phase five. So can you imagine your budget when the impact fees were half of what they were and now we bring it online, they're double? So this goes back to the council member. I mean, we need to do something at a, a I think a state level, we could get it done, you get it done, but you, you can't just say, okay, do it now after you made us, like town center, you gave the parks, you gave city hall land, you gave all the land, you gave where, you know, we're trying to do this YMCA, you gave all this, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to hammer this. Um, and you got to remember, these are publicly traded companies, your pensions in it. So mm -hmm. you can't, it's just forced the business to go someplace else. So, uh, two things in Flagler County on impact fees, you know, we're still a basically a retirement community. So you can't really hold us up to what Sarasota is or Miami is mm -hmm. because our per capita income is a half. So you would just kick the rest of the people out. So one other, I want to give you a number here. Um, so if we throw, let's say a new apartment complex, this, these are hot numbers here. So the cost to build a, you know, say a 270 units, most efficient, uh, a multifamily project. The cost to build that is today on average, you know, when you, when you, if you to do a third, a third, a third, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, and three bedrooms is $175,000 a unit hard cost. That's just the cost of the bricks and mortar. Doesn't include anything else. Doesn't include any value for the land. Doesn't include impact fees at all. It's two hundred fifty thousand a unit. How are you going to build something that costs two hundred fifty thousand a unit and turn it around and rent it for seven hundred fifty thousand a month? I, you just can't do it. So, um, it's impossible to do it. So, is this an impossible answer to the question? Is it? Is it a, I mean, if, if government would get out of the way and if government would make it easy and government would put a um, on this particular form of uh, in, not impact fees on it, and we can go into the school impact fees also with no growth for the last 17 years, and yet the in, you know, there's an emergency impact fee on schools that was put on, which hurts everybody. Um, 
And because there's no need to build no schools, but yet we got that, which still irks me. But anyway, there's three sides to that story, I guess. But um, if we could eliminate those impact fees just to spark um, something in the long term, the economic development to have a workforce here and, and to get that going. And to me, you know, it's, you got the NIMBYs, as uh, Toby calls them, not in my backyard. Yeah, we want it, but not in my backyard. Um, but the West County expansion to me is a, a great opportunity to do things right from the beginning because there's enough land, there's enough, um, there's enough demand. Um, so what, just if you want to comment on my rambling there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, to be clear, I, I staff in, in, in the local, in the local government, I mean, they're under the microscope. We're under the microscope. It takes years. You know, every agency looks at you and I'm not, I'm not deferring to that. I'm not deferring the responsibility, but when I talk about the impact fees and I think, uh, Councilman Heiger has got a point because we do have tax credit deals out there and those type of things. Um, but there's still people sliding Matt, It's not near enough. But her idea of a percentage of a project, and you got to start in the very beginning. You can't go, okay, we're in for our final plat after you just walk away from it. Here you go. We're going to do nothing now. Housing crisis gets worked. So, but if you can start in the beginning and say, you know, for rather than have them, we're going to force you to do a minimum number of homes, say, here's the incentive to the private sector. We're going to relieve impact fees for up to 5% or 10%, some number. So you integrate those families, those single people, those senior citizens who are on a fixed pension can come into a nice, whether it's multifamily, whether it's single family, they can come into a project that, okay, they were income qualified and they could come in 5%, 10%. And that delta, it's not going to solve the problem 100%, but that delta slides people into the community Um uh, on an income basis, they don't care what, you know, color, sexual preference or anything. It's income qualified and you can come in. I got to tell you, my wife and I, when we came to Orlando in 1980, guys, in 85, I remember that we were, our combined income was like $24,000 and we got into an apartment deal based upon income qualified. I had no idea what it was. And they go, congratulations, you're income qualified. I go, yay, we're income qualified. And they go, no, you, you, make the, you don't make the minimum. <laughs> so uh, uh, my point is, is, you know, communities are very successful in this that can pull this off. And I, we need to address it. It's an ASAP addressing. And these are great people and they're contributing to society. They just need the chance that we as boomers we had this chance. So if um, Councilwoman Heider would say, all right, look, let's get some of the best minds in the business at the table here and see if, if it can't be solved, and then we're wasting our time talking about it. But I feel like there is hope. And um, I think that um, with, with you and having council direct the staff, like you say, they're just doing what they're told to do. But if they can change what they're being told to do and say, no, instead of what doing what you have been doing, start doing it this way. And, um, you know, could we make some headway and, um, and particularly with the great opportunity of West Flagler County or, you know, going west with, with Palm Coast over there, which is going to happen, by the way. So for all the, the naysayers and things, um, it's happening because we have state uh, approval and funding and all that. But anyway, it's a whole nother program. David, can I just plug in? Flagler County has an affordable housing advisory committee that meets on a oh, monthly yes, basis, which is, it. yep. And which is open to the public, open to the community. We have city of Palm Coast representatives. We often have city of Bunnell representatives, Flagler County representatives, community members. I'm, I'm one of them. Um, and we always invite developers to come in and share with us as a community, what can we do better so that we're collaborating because part 
part of the role of AHAC is to help to provide um, recommendations to our county about incentives for growth, for affordable housing. So uh, we would love to have you there and, and, or, and anyone in your uh, organization so that we can continue this conversation. This is not a new committee. AHAC has been around for mm -hmm. years. And so I think it's important that we... Like, you know, I know Kathy was talking about it. She, by the way, is on it as well. Um, but not just a one and done conversation. This needs to continue to happen with our community voices, members of our community. We meet um, once a month at 3 p.m. at the um, Emergency Operations Center. Well, um, we need to get you um, ha and have you on because you're the vice chair of the Affordable Housing I Advisory am. Committee. This year I am. Well, then, okay, then we need to have you guys on the show here and explain what you are doing because if you have been addressing these things and we don't know about it, we need to know what is Absolutely. going on and how can we help get it to the next level, Absolutely. I would imagine. So, all right. You're looking at me for an – I think I spoke to you a couple of years ago with Charlie, and, um, you know, I'm to the point – I'm getting old and grouchy. Like, like the rest of us, no. you know, the boomers. Come on. so just to be direct, I said, you know, it's not, I'm not pointing the finger at government. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I got to imagine they're sick and tired of looking at the same Avalon plan for mm -hmm. XYZ builder over and over again in the same project. I mean, it's the same exact plan. It's just on, it's on the same dimension lot. So I would love to jump in this. I got very limited time, but here's the condition that I would jump in and I would move everything we can to jump in, but we got to have a goal and we got to do it. So if you have the leadership that says, hey, and we're going to go fight the battle in the wars, and, and it makes perfect sense. No one's going to lose. And by the way, we can't abandon impact fees because we're so far down that road. Right. I'm not talking about that. Right. I'm just talking about, hey, is, is it a number? Mm -hmm. it, and we can do it. But we got to have everybody say that this is what we're going to do. We have one goal. We need to hit a single. Don't swing for the fence. This is still a small community. Mm -hmm. Hit a single and do it well. Get the first base and then think about getting the second base. Well, it's a good thing I'm a baseball fan, so let's do it. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, uh, we are out of time, way out of time, actually. Uh, Trish Giacconi, thank you so much for thank what you. you do for the community. And let's uh, get the um, uh, the Affordable Housing Advisory Committee on, on Free For All. I'd love to have you set that up for me. That would be great. Okay. Jeff Douglas, appreciate all you do here for the community, too, and have for many years. Thank you, Dr. Ayers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brian. Have a great weekend, everybody. All right. Kathy Heider, Rick Staley, thanks, everybody, for being with us, but mostly you for listening, and have a great weekend. Be safe and be kind. Be kind.